attention is the number one asset. Gary, Gary, Gary. Hello, hello. I believe it's the end. It's the end of 2023. Ooh, wait, wait. What what shirt are you in? Oh, look at me. This I is my favorite. That. It's hard to pick a favorite, but she I is my ambitious angel. I have her not only in a t-shirt, but I have the the kids version, which by the way works for an adult. If you get the 2XL yep. white sweatshirt, highly recommend. Very soft. Let's uh let's give a big shout out to everybody tuning in. I see YouTube representing Kevin Jordan. Good to see you. Last of a dying CTV. I see you. I see LinkedIn coming in. Oscar Hernandez, Christina E coming in. Uh, I see I see that it's live on Twitter and Facebook as well. So we'll see if those come in here in the chat. But I see Michael F. Big shout out. I also have Twitch live on mute here. Oh, so amazing. We can unmute them actually. Um, Cool. Let's rock and roll. What do we got today? We got lucky seven speakers today, and we're going to be talking about 2024. What's in store? And first up, I'm going to have you guess, Gary, who this is. It's kind of a it's a it's a sizable bio, if you will. So this dude is a successful serial entrepreneur who sold. I think it's Jesse Itzler. Oh, rats! You got it already. He's an ultra. This guy's insane, but positively insane. He's an ultra marathon runner who's biked across the country. He's founder of All Day Running. He's got four kids. He's a former rapper who managed Run DMC. Oh my gosh, he's he was married to Sarah Blakely. And most importantly, maybe, at least for right now, is he is the creator of the Big Ass Calendar Club. I'm hoping we hear a little bit more about that. Jesse, how are you, my man? Gary, you got a green pen. I got a green pen. We are so fucking in sync, my dude. We are so locked in right now, unscripted. We're both green pen guys. I, You know what? I've always known that we were locked in, but this might have been the final fucking cherry on top. I love it. I got to get you an all-day running cap, and then we're really locked in. I'll rock it, my friend. Just for the four people that don't know who you are, give us one half second on that, and let's go and chop up what's in store for 24. Yeah, I've had an unconventional business journey. Um, I started out as in the music business, as as mentioned, as a rapper. Then I had a private jet company called Marquee Jet, sold it to Warren Buffett's NetJets, a coconut water company called Zico, sold it to Coca-Cola, um, a fitness company, sold it to iFit. I've had five exits, and I'm a dad of four. Um, yeah, that's me. Actually, real quick on that, for people that are going into 2024 thinking about selling their company, as someone who's had the experience of five exits, which is remarkable, um, what's the biggest lesson you've learned across all five of those? Like, what's the common theme? What's a watch out? As, as the people that are on here that are either fortunate enough to be setting up an exit that are excited about, or maybe even more concerning, and maybe you can speak to this, maybe some of the five you had was a little bit, you know, I'm, I'm gonna assume Jess with five exits, some were a little bit more front-footed than back-footed, right? Like sometimes you're selling because like the demand is there and you're just getting a huge multiple. Other times you're like, man, I, even if the company's fine, if you, you, you or the management team don't have it in the fire anymore or you see the tailwinds, like give us a little wisdom on being on your front or back foot as you go into 2024, pondering an exit of your business. Well, the first thing I would say is that none of the businesses that I sold, I had any experience in going into it. I had no prior experience in aviation, music, coconut water. And for a lot of people, entrepreneurs on this call, that could be a great concern. But for me, it was a blessing because it guaranteed that my products, my companies, my services would be different than all my competition. So for many people, that's a gift, not having experience because it means you're going to do things differently. 
I always say, like, if no one taught you how to do your job, like, how would you do it? That's always been the biggest strength of my career. I call it fresh eyes. Like, my whole career, the wine business, the the advertise. I mean, I knew nothing about advertising when I started VaynerMedia. I think fresh eyes, if you're a capable operator, are dangerous eyes, AKA give you actually an advantage because you see shit that the people that are incumbents can't see. Yeah, I would say the second thing theme for me is like, in all those businesses, even though they were so different, like the common theme was I poured my soul into it. And people feel soul. You can't outsource it. You can't fake it. And there was just incredible passion behind all of that. Any goal, I emptied the tank and poured my soul into it. As far as selling the companies, you know, for me, I had no experience in that. My dad owned the plumbing supply house. I never, we never sold companies in my family. Yeah. Yeah. I was fortunate to realize that that's not my skill set and find you know brokers companies um that could help me lawyers that could assist me in that journey so knowing your weakness going to 2024 and when you're in a position awareness. to hire your weakness you do it and yeah so actually real quick i just want to give a quick shout out shari woodstein said uh clean up your mouth on linkedin clean up your mouth you shouldn't be using the one word you said a few minutes ago i uh i'm leaving this and we'll never go to any other your lives that you might do. Sherry, I just want to apologize. Um, I'm I'm incapable of not being myself and I apologize that the cursing didn't hit, but I wish you the best, best um, holiday. And I think back to your point about like self-awareness, I also think humility going into 2024. I'm incredibly empathetic for Sherry's comment right now on LinkedIn. Some people are not comfortable with cursing the way maybe I am. And I don't view that as she doesn't get it or she's from, you know, the old school. I actually think you bring up a beautiful thing of like self-awareness of what you're not good at. I also think a big thing that people can really build on is I think humility is lacking. I think when people see the world differently, we get very confrontational. I wasn't being condescending or or silly just now. I'm actually genuinely apologetic to Sherry. I, I, I wanna stay my way. I feel comfortable in my authenticity, but that doesn't give me the inability to have the humility to apologize if somebody randomly popped up on LinkedIn and saw this and didn't enjoy it. And I think we need more of that as well. And I think self-awareness and humility work very nicely together. Thoughts on that, Jess? Well, I mean, you come into a Gary Vee thing, you know it's gonna be PG-13 or R. Yeah, and, and by the way, she might not, you know, it seems like she was here for the first time and and didn't know what she, you know, that I might have a little bit more of a potty mouth. And so I just wanna do that. anyway. Just this big ass calendar. I I saw Zach walking around with it. Actually, why don't you tell everybody I see it? I'm gonna go grab. Actually, Dustin, if you don't mind, grab that big ass calendar. Just what is this thing? I'm a big planner, so we're talking about what's in store for 2024. And yeah, so Gary, check this out. I have mine here too. By the way, good job taking out the SS here. I don't want anyone to leave. The, I don't want anyone to leave. You don't want to lose anybody in the chat, Jess. I don't want to lose people here, man. I don't want to lose people here. I appreciate you bringing that up. And, you know, as we talk about 2024, before I even go there, Gary, my word for 2024, like this is a great time, December, right now, to prepare for next year. And it's, I think it's really important for everybody here. I'll explain that in a second, Gary. To go into 2024 light. Go in as light as you can. And for me, I use this time right now to clear my desk, delete my emails, clean out my closet. Like I want to declutter and feel light going into 2020. I love that. I'm a fan. I don't want to go in heavy. I don't want to go in heavy. I want to get as light as I can right this, now. This is, this is why gratitude is my word for 24. 
you're doing it right physically and I believe in the minimalism, the simplicity. I want people to go light emotionally. Why not be grateful for what you have instead of all the energy that everyone's putting into what they don't have? Right, right. And so for me, that's really important. I want to come into the year fresh, but you know, you mentioned the calendar. I'll plug it real quick. This is my entire 2024 already planned. My year's already baked. This is all my trips, speeches, date nights. Like, I feel like I'm 55, Gary. I'm 55. And I feel like as you get older, creating newness is really hard. Like, where does newness come from, man? We live in routine. So I feel like if we don't plan it, usually it won't happen. And I'm really aggressive with my planning. Because if I don't prioritize me, my calendar fills up with work. Zoom calls, stuff that I don't even at the end of the year, like it doesn't mean anything to me. So I try to plan my life and, and in 2024 before all my meetings and stuff and let as much, work's always going to fill in. It's always happening. Always. But I put the important stuff that I want to do. So at the end of 2024, I'm going to the end of 2024 now that I have stuff that I can show for it. You know, I want to be able to, at the end of 2023, what did you do? What'd you accomplish? What did you, you worked your ass off don't leave me for saying the word ass. You worked your ass off, but what do you have to show for it in the 365 days? And there's an old Japanese ritual called the Misogi. Yeah. And the notion around the Misogi is you do one big year defining thing every year. So it's really important. Like if you could look back, this is for everybody and say, like, if I asked, what'd you do in 2015, 2017, 2019? You should be able to rat rattle off. Oh, I launched a book in 20, 2015, 2023. I rolled my bike across America. And that one thing of having a big year defining thing to me is critical because if Gary, if you live another 30, 40 years, I'm, you know, you, what do you got? 112, 120 in you? I'm 48. I'm going for at least a hundred. I feel like I've got 52 and like, I feel like I'm starting to maybe look at going into halftime, but I have like right. real things to do here, brother. You might have 60 in you. I agree. 30, 40. I'd be pissed. If, by the way, if I pass within 30, 40 years, when I get up there, the first thing I'm going to say is like, yo, fuck Jesse Itzler. He was the one that fucked this up. I didn't even mean to put it in the universe, but you're defending it so much. <laughs> God, I, I appreciate it. When you, when you go at the end of your journey, Gary, what, do you, what are people going to say about you? What do you want people to say about you? That I gave more than I took. Have you always been like that? Yeah. Long before anybody knew who the hell I was. Like I wish some junior high or high school friends are in the chat right now and be like, he said that shit before there was the internet. I've always been, I, I had the all time mother and the all time circumstance of immigrant life and humility and happiness. And it just like, it was over before it started. You know, like I just got very fortunate. My, you know, somebody said in the chat just now, Gary, you know, you, you have Christian, very heavy Christian values. What do you think about that? I think that I said, what do I think about that? I think that makes sense. I'm very aware that my stuff is old school, you know? Yeah. I'm old school. Like I'm a modern dude. I do new technology and all this. I'm hyper. I can curse. I get all that. But man, in my soul, boy, do I like people. Do you take a lot of time planning for the upcoming year? I, I you know, it's funny. I do, you a, do you have a process? 
Yeah, I have a whole, I mean, I know my entire, yes, I have a process. It's called a team. We like, I have like a meeting in my schedule. Like this is literally at 1230 on my schedule. I'm going to review the next week, two weeks. Like I'm in it because of the way I roll, but I'm also a big buyer of your macro thesis of like big things. Like I, I during my holidays, I basically give one thoughtful thing of like what relationships or what impact do I want to have on the year? Jess, listen, I need to get you on podcast with friends or a solo podcast because we have too much to talk about. I'm already three minutes late. I have to abruptly kick you out because everyone's yelling at me behind the scenes. I love you. I love your calendar. I love your family. I love the way you roll. I love the way you impact. I wish you nothing but health and happiness, brother. I can't wait till we, till we have lunch and dinner together 65 years from now, Gary. I'll can't be 127. Wait. There we go, brother. I love you. See ya. All right. Such fire. All right, next up, we got Jason Angrasani, great friend of ours, who is the Chief Marketing and Com Communications Officer at Cantor Fitzgerald, and he came from Bloomberg. And we were just talking, Gary, a little bit about um, Jason's been playing some soccer with his kids. You might want to ask him a little bit about that, too. I love that. How are you, brother? Good, man. How are you? I was really enjoying the conversation with Jesse. I could have tuned into that all day. Jace, I appreciate that. Brother, let's go right into it. Let's go in a different direction. Let's like, we kind of went spiritual there. I like the whole yin and yang stuff. Talk to me about the business world, obviously sitting on top of such a, a premier business entity. You know, there's a lot that I feel in the air of uncertainty going into 2024, an election year. People are emotionally on tilt in America and globally. There's some other big elections around the world. So that's in the air. Um, you know, interest rates, you're hearing momentum of like coming down, you know, they've been high. Um, every company I talk to is struggling with the remote working environment. Almost every business is feeling the effects of less productivity in this environment. And that kind of is starting to hit the fan. I mean, I had, I literally had a CEO of a major company cry to me that she's going to have to let go of a lot of people because in hindsight, she didn't make the workforce come back to the office enough and the business can't sustain. And she thought she was doing the right thing. And now she's got the, and it hit me hard because that's what I'm going through. Think about my universe. So there's a lot in the air. What's in store from 2024 from your perspective on these big macro business trends? Well, let's start, let's start with people. Cause I think in 2024, we have to start investing back in people. There was huge hiring trends in 2020 and 2021, inflating the workforce, focus engagement, focusing on remote engagement. And that was all well and good. But then you're seeing over the last year, a lot of layoffs happening, risks happening. There's just a lot of people freaking out about what's in store for them going forward. And even for me personally, I left a, a great role at Bloomberg. I was there for 13 years to take on a brand new challenge here at Canner with a smaller team, a bigger scope and a whole lot of other things to worry about. But the, the thing I always go back to is if you can surround yourself with really good people and empower those people to make decisions, and really bring them along on your journey for planning and success, you're going to be successful. So that's what I'm, I'm always focused on. How do I get people on the same page, believing that they're contributing to what we're trying to do as an organization going forward, not just having it be me dictating the direction and, and bringing the leaders along so they can bring other folks along and, and we start to build a sense of camaraderie and togetherness. Then that leads to people wanting to come into the office, wanting to be together. Because listen, like, we, we could argue all day long about productivity levels during the pandemic. Yeah, people were more productive, but they didn't connect. They didn't collaborate. Page And in order for you to feel like this isn't just a job that you're showing up to every day and commuting X amount of time, my commute's three hours a day uh, to and from work, 
right? But I do it because I want to connect with people. I want to hear their ideas. I want to collaborate on problems that we have. I want to commiserate on how miserable the commute was and all that stuff. But focusing on how do we make them better at their jobs, better colleagues, better people, better parents, better brothers and sisters. And, and, and um, you know, that's what I really focus on. I, it, people, to me, is everything. Yeah, there is nothing else. How do you think everything gets done? I, I'm with you. I think the other thing is that a lot of business owners don't realize that people have options. Even if, look, I think I think we'll see a continuation of lack of hiring because like businesses do business things. Like they're going to they're going to have to let go of people before they miss bank covenants and don't have a credit line and then fully go out of business and all 800 people have to like it's just real life, right? Like. Like, you know, like I see it in small business, like people are gonna, you know, even if you have day 10 and like, it's just business are gonna do business things, but humans have more options than ever. The, the side hustles are becoming real businesses. And so there's, a, there's, when I think about start, stop, continue, you know, start trying to build something for yourself that doesn't make you vulnerable to the business. Stop being just concerned and fear-based and start creating that and then continue the things that are making you happy because you really have a lot of control and that's both for the businesses, but more importantly for the employees. We have to be, it's confidence, right? You know, as marketers, you always hear the, the argument of, all right, you know, is it a cost center? Is it a growth driver? I don't even subscribe to that. At the end of the day, marketing is not a back office function, right? It's not a support function. It's a growth driver for any organization that wants to be serious about moving forward. And, you know, in the B2B land that I've, I've lived in throughout pretty much all of my career, sometimes that's a difficult conversation to have with CEOs or, or other, you know, COOs, CFOs, all the people that we have to deal with on a daily basis. But it's having the confidence to be able to tell your story and articulate what the team is doing against those business objectives that, that are critical. If anybody that's ever worked with me will say, I think will say one thing, which is I'm constantly focused on results, value, and impact. Like if we're not adding value to what the business is trying to achieve, we shouldn't be doing it, period, end of story, right? Nowadays, that conversation's a little bit different. It's more values-based. So we're thinking about the intersection between brand and demand. How do we instill values throughout the customer journey, throughout everything that we're doing, trying to connect what the business is all about and, and what the company is all about to the bottom line impact. And, and you know, at Bloomberg, we invested a ton in the foundation. Mike invested a ton in his foundation. And we always tried to connect the dots between what we were doing on a philanthropic standpoint to what the business, what it, what it meant to work with Bloomberg as an organization. At Canner, it's really no different. You know, the resiliency of this firm post 9-11 has been tremendous. And connecting those dots to what we're actually trying to be in the market, uh, a lot of people don't even know what we do anymore. And that's part of the reason brought me on and to try to change that narrative. But it's not just about talking about the, the X's and O's of the business. It's about connecting the dots with what this firm is, what it means, what any firm is, what it means to people, how it connects with people, because people want to do business with brands that they trust, period, end of story. And if you can how, how human behaviors always work, whether it's people or businesses, always. Final yeah. thought before we get out of here, brother, What is, what is a big opportunity you see for employees, employers, businesses, side hustles? What's, a, what's something that's got you kind of jazzed as opportunity in 24? Right. It's it's I hate to be cliche about it, but it's, you know, experiment with AI, try new things out, dive into technology. It's it's what we're going to be facing in the future. And you're either going to be ahead of the game or you're going to be behind the times. And you're, you can try a bunch of things, fail. 
but there's so much opportunity out there to to be experimental do it dive in and don't be afraid to fail i love it brother i wish you a happy holiday jason you too thanks for the time gary appreciate it see you soon take care bro Next up, we've got Lynn Teo. She's the CMO of Northwestern Mutual. She just joined over a year ago, and she already won the 2023 Financial Marketer of the Year. Congratulations, Lynn. Thank you. Thank you. And big shout out to Jason for giving me the full 10. <laughs> Lynn, how are things? Things are awesome. I'm here in sunny Milwaukee, where it's cold. Uh, but you know what? You lean into the people around you, and if they, you know, bring some light, that's all you need. I love it. So let's talk about start, stop, and continue in 24. If I give you that framework, yeah. What, what do you think people should stop doing going into 24? Yeah. What's your What's your opinion on things they should start doing, and what's a, your opinion on things that people should continue doing, and or if you want to take it in a different angle, as you think about your 2024, what are you going to start doing? What are you going to stop doing? And what are you going to continue doing? All right, so let's go for it. I'll start with the stop. Um, so the first thing I would say to stop doing is isolated marketing activities. Stop doing them. Stop creating microsites that aren't connected to the architecture or the fabric of your, your other digital properties. Stop creating one-off events that don't have a planful way of thinking before, during, and after. Who are you sending the invites to? What actions do you want them? Some of these events are expensive events from wine tasting to chocolate. Hold on, hold on. Say, oh, yes? No stopping, wine, no stopping the wine tastings, Lynn. My dad, is, my dad is watching this. I'm about to get a text from Sasha saying, who's this Lynn? Unacceptable. No, no, no. It's not about stopping the wine tasting. It's about thinking carefully about what you're doing after the yeah. wine tasting. Uh, by the way, I'm fully in agreement that in the marketing world, way too much one-offs with no no cohesion or really rhyme or reason. I mean, look, I don't mind things that look potentially as a one-off if it's trying to win relevance with a right. specific consumer segmentation. But I, right. but I, But I agree with you. I think there's a little bit too much spray and pray, throw against the wall and see what sticks. Exactly. And to expand on that a little further, think about your org structures. Any marketing leader tuning in right now, you know, think about where you're duplicating efforts, right? I, I found tremendous success in creating deep specializations within the org structure of a marketing team. So senses of excellence, right? Because you can borrow that skill set across multiple places instead of duplicating that function within every single one of them. So I encourage you to look under the covers. So that's my stop. Let's go to start. Okay. And I love using acronyms and I'm just going to make one up on the fly. It's called the MFO. Okay. Funnel obsession. Okay. I want to ask all marketers to take a look at your funnels. Funnels are still relevant. It just gives you a framework to think about how your activities link from one to another. What I'm seeing a lot is investments in top and bottom of funnel, right? And I think the mistake here is letting your CPAs, your CPAs, your CPLs be the thing that you live and die by. I understand that there are times you want to hit right at the bottom of the funnel because that's where intent is high, motivation is high, they it's know also, your brand. It's also measurable for a lot of organizations. Totally, right? Because a lot of us are still in the last touch attribution model. Which is, which is why places like Google get extra credit for other parts of the funnel doing the work. You hear about something in your 
Spotify playlist as a pre-roll and then you grab your phone and go to Google and type it in because many people use Google as their browser and then all of a sudden back home in marketing land, you think Google brought you the customer when in fact it was your Spotify ad. That's exactly right. Your Spotify ad is your first point of touch but then there was a bunch of other nurturing activities. So I would say, um, and then we all know the story and the constant refrain of spending it on top of funnel, write brand stories. But the question I would ask is, where's your brand story going, right? So what's the six other touches you need to design for? And bear in mind, those touches might be very different for different segments, different sub-segments. So think of yourselves, marketers, like an architect, right? You're building a house, you've got the roof, You've got the rooms, you've got the bed that you sleep on, right? So I would say MFO, mid-funnel obsession, is what I'd like you all to think and start doing in 2024. And then we'll do the last one, Gary. We'll do continue. Right. And a lot of people might be surprised hearing me because you know my, my foray into marketing started in the digital space. But I would say bring traditional back. What's old is new again, right? And I'm, I'm a firm believer that there's no binary good marketing tactics, bad marketing tactics. I, I, I've just invested in a sponsorship. I've looked at email marketing differently and got help us direct mail. It is still relevant, guys. Well, well it's, inter it's interesting which ones you chose, right? right. You chose sponsorship, which in a lot of ways as an awareness play, I right. love, and I don't know what you're, are you talking about sports jersey? Are you talking about something else? Sports Jersey, we were, we just sponsored the Milwaukee Brewers and that that decision was made after that, a thoughtful yeah. that, consideration. That, that I like because people actually watch the baseball game and will actually see the impression and the reinforcement and the awareness, right? right. Direct mail, even though it doesn't convert the way it did 20 years ago, there's a lot of direct mail campaigns that the company got the return that they were looking for on the investment. Do I believe perfect, pay attention to the words I'm saying, do yeah. I believe perfect Facebook execution, creative and media outperforms direct mail for the same function? I do because I've tested them both enough over the last three, four years. Do I believe though that it is very possible to make a direct mail campaign work? Yes. Sponsorship? Yes. What was the third one? Email? Well, yes. Like, oh, like you said traditional, and what's interesting is sports jerseys in America is brand new. Yeah. Obviously worked in Europe for a long time. Right. E email as traditional is kind of enjoyable because it's still only a 25 year phenomenon, but check, respect. And direct mail is probably the most traditional. But you're missing the thing here, Gary. It's a combination. Email timed with direct mail. That's the magic. When do you time it? When do you surround your target audience with it? I think that's the unlock. And yes. then going back to sponsorships, when we came up with the thinking, wasn't just a jersey. It was how it intersects with the community efforts of both foundations. How do you drive online demand, right? How do you generate, how do you activate my field? My field is my growth engine. So how do I bring my field? I, my I, think, I think the thing you're touching on, Lynn, that I'm such a buyer of is, I love old is new. I mean, all my content right now is that we need to respect our elders. I think we've put youth on a pedestal too much and have completely yep. lost our respect for our elders. Exactly. That, that being said, there are people when they hear that statement that will continue to hold up overpriced marketing behaviors yep. on an ideology. The things yep. you just mapped out 
I, in, on December 5th, 2024, there are multiple executions that the money is worth the execution. Exactly. On the flip side, if your what's old is new again tactic is to do banner ad advertising on the internet, like it did and crushed in the late 90s and early 2000s, I would argue very heavily against that in comparison to what social media platforms give you in the same game at a much lower cost. So I think, I think you know, over, you know to the thing that I want to point out for the people that are listening is I love that overall statement, but wasting money in any shape or form in marketing is a bad idea. It's never in vogue. I no. think that's a putting, wonderful thought. Putting regular television commercials on network and cable at the costs yep. that they are today is asinine. Yeah. Agreed. It's all about connecting the dots and, you know, squeezing the best value out of your investments. So there you have it. Start, stop, continue for 24. Lynn, I hope you have a very healthy and happy holiday. You as well, Gary. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. Thanks, Lynn. Gary, next we have the CMO of Xerox, Dina, um, who has just gone through a big rebranding. Hi, Dina. Hi. Hi, Gary. How are you? Good, Dina. Why don't, you, why don't we actually start with that? Tell us about this big rebranding. You know, obviously Xerox is so iconic. I'm sure for a lot, everybody who's watching and listening in the future, there might be some fun curiosity about that. So let's start there, actually, and happy holidays. Yes, thank you. Thanks for having me. So Xerox is this iconic brand, um, you know, legacy and of innovation and heritage and really transforming the workplace. But we've got to reintroduce ourselves. We've got to reintroduce uh, ourselves to to new audiences. And we've also got to tell people about the things that we're doing now that they don't know that we're doing right. Synonymous with copy became a verb, right? A Xerox brand became a verb. Yep. How do you disassociate from that thing that made you a household name and make sure people know about the new stuff you're doing. So what we did is we launched an integrated brand and demand gen campaign, something I recommend everybody look at starting to do in 24. You got limited resources. You really got to, you can't afford to have siloed brand and demand gen campaigns, right? So we, we launched an integrated one. It's called We Make Work Work, and it's about explaining kind of what we're doing today. The world's changed. The workplace has changed. We're hybrid. We're stressed. We're distributed. Um, technology has changed. And so a lot of the services we have today are about enabling you to be productive in today's workforce. So, how, how much of a challenge do you think it is to get people educated on what something like a Xerox is up to now when we all have you know, if we're over 25, it's likely we all have a very specific thing that we're thinking. Do you feel like, you know, from your perspective, that is a bigger challenge than even being a brand that no one knows? Or are they both kind of similar because they're opposite sides of the pillow in the middle and is a little bit easier than a full rebrand? Yeah. I think sometimes it is more challenging, right? And you mentioned the 25 and over. We actually still got to get stronger in the 25 to 44 demographic. 45 and over, we're really strong. Yeah, right? it's very fair. Very fair. Um, so it is hard. You've got to reintroduce yourself. And so that's why this year's campaign, it really kind of over-indexed on being, you know, we use some of our heritage. We use the bold Xerox red and, and got it front and center in front of people. But we put a modern twist 
and use really punchy, witty copy that we've never used before to intrigue people into learning more about what we actually do. Where, where, Dina, where are you executing that? Because I think one of the, I'm always, you know, I, I'm, it's just to jump in, I've been thinking a lot about the fact that most brands are stuck in a campaign framework in big brand land. And for me, my religion is, man, if you're not marketing every day, you have no shot, which is why I'm obsessed with social media advertising. I think people grossly underestimate what day-to-day content and social means. Um, in the, and when you think about such an iconic brand and when you talk about, I wanna win 45 and under, when I think about their consumption of this device over everything, is it a challenge to get your constituents around the table in the organization to understand the needed investment, not in digital, but in modern digital? Because you know this, digital can mean a lot. Like, you know, I was just on with, in the last call and you saw she was using digital as like email as, as going back. Cause digital can get very, very traditional and very old school. You know, to me, do you feel great about what's going on with Xerox from a social media day in and day out? Uh, content or are you doing more of a matching luggage of the campaign or where are you on this journey? Yeah. So first of all, you've got to have a mix, right? You've got to be multi-channel and you've got to get into these modern places. So we have a mix. And one of the things I was going to say, people need to stop playing it safe. You've got to, you've got to test, you've got to fail, you've got to iterate, you've got to optimize based on the data that comes out of what you're doing. Like out of home, digital actually overperformed for us and gave us a lot of value. Connected TV spots. I heard you say you'd never buy a cable. T- I, we didn't either, but we tried some connected TV. I, 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 I love fast channels, connected TV. I mean, yeah. all of the modern television channels, their capabilities on the targeting and media buying look much more like social media and I think are bringing really interesting dividends. I have a lot of passion that we have to stop making videos that people don't want to watch. This, this phenomenon of making commercials has to finally hit ahead in our industry. These videos are not things, nobody on this Twitch channel right now, nobody in these streams, like they do not want to watch these boring 30 second videos. And you know this, Dina, as a senior marketer, they're freaking expensive they're too. They've got to be relevant. They've got to be like, they've got to be emotional. They've got to be relevant. They've got to capture the audience. We had 97% rate of like full completion view in our connected TV spots because we went totally different, right? We we focused on what do you, you know, you want to get home? You want to close your laptop? You want to get home in time to read your kid a bedtime story or get to their soccer game? That's what matters at the end of the day. That's what you want to see in an ad that piques your interest. So I'm sorry to interrupt. In in an ad, like just my big thing that I'm trying to get all 2,000 people at VaynerMedia to understand, let's make videos people want to watch. To your point, there's some people that want to see a video that inspires an emotional truth that they want to get home right now while they're at work and they see it on LinkedIn and they want to get home. On the flip side, there's some people that just want to see something funny. Yep. There's like, but real funny, not like the bad jokes we put in commercials. I'm talking more like SNL, like, like, or a music video or like just a video people want to watch. Yeah. We're like, we're testing TikTok, right? Like, so we had to do that education internally here and like, we need to get paid TikTok ads, right? Right. And think about, think about how you said that we're testing TikTok. TikTok is dominated for the last five years. I know, but not for our brand. So exactly where you got to get. 
the iconic brand, educate the people and the stakeholders inside on what's going on outside and where you need to be to get to the audiences that you want to reach. Right. I love that. Dina, let me ask you a quick question back to as we go into 24. I want to go backwards a little bit. I, I kind of like this concept of giving people flowers while they're still alive. I feel like we say all these nice things after people pass. I, I think this would be a fun moment. You are the CMO of Xerox. You have an iconic marketing job. I'm sure at times li the little you, like is, if you think about it, you're like, I'm the CMO of Xerox. Can we give some flowers to maybe when you were a young marketer, maybe someone who said something in a meeting or did something like if I said a mentor or someone maybe might not even be your biggest mentor, but somebody said something in one meeting and it penetrated your mind and your soul and your perspective and you built off of it. Who can we give some flowers to um, in this in this one on one that you think we're were maybe actually, an instrumental, please. Yeah, it, the person who brought me to Xerox actually, Mike Feldman, um, he brought me in a different role and he tapped me for this role when there was the opportunity and he pushed me to make sure I raised my hand and, and got in the game. And he's uh, he's an amazing person. And, and you know what he told me? He said, this is gonna be the best time of your career. Have fun, you're gonna enjoy it. And, uh, and I am, I'm enjoying it, I have a great team. I love that. Tell me one thing that you want to continue that you learned in 23, either as Dina the human being or as the marketer, as we, we wrap up this interview. Like, what's something yeah, you want to continue? I think, I mean, it's both. I'm, I'm like a super data driven person as a marketer and as a leader. And so, one of the things I want to continue is really optimizing based on what the data is telling us, right? So, we, you know, we've had this whole journey of, um, getting as much data and analytics into how we're spending our money as possible because you've got to be able to shift you've got to be agile all of us are dealing with budgets that aren't as big as we would like them to be right there's you know realities out there in the market right now we're, we're all crunched so you've got to use the data and the analytics to just keep optimizing and optimizing and optimizing it's funny you touched on something i always laugh about when i first got into marketing 14 years ago i knew nothing about fortune 500 marketing I've done marketing my whole life, but and invested in the platforms that I thought would define the future of marketing, but I hadn't been in the game in Madison Avenue. And one of my first meetings, the marketer said, Gary, my budgets, it's like a real problem. And I like all I felt all bad. And I, you know, I grew up in a family business. So I like the person was like, really like, you know, my butt, you know, just like really like, oh my God, my budgets. And so I was like, man, I felt really bad. I'm like, oh man. And I was like, well, how much budget do you have? And she was like, oh my God, I only have $14 million this year. I was like, $14 million? I'm like, I can, she was, on a, she was on a bubble gum brand. I was like, I can get every human on earth to eat your bubble gum for $14 million. I think, you know, sometimes us in big business land, Fortune 500 land, we worry about our budgets. And so many people watching right now on streams, like, you know, their budget for their small business or startup is 100,000 for the year. And so I think you can make money go a long way. Obviously you have a big task. You have a very big task in getting people to understand the modern Xerox, but uh, we are heavily rooting for you and I hope you have a great, great holiday. Thank you. Happy holidays, Gary. Thanks for having me. Of course, take care. Thank you, Gary. Thanks for joining us. Have a great Happy afternoon. Holidays. All right, we'll see you soon.